Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Filthy Lip Out podcast with me, Kit Alexander, and John E. Morgan. Joining us this week is a man with all the insider knowledge and insights from on the tour. It's Dominic Griffiths, who is the Ping European Player Manager. Dom, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it looks like you're in your back garden there rather than somewhere out on tour with the guys. Uh, what's been going on from your end so far this year and restrictions and everything? Oh, it's been a, yeah, it's been a difficult year. Good to good to, good to see you. Uh, yeah, it's been a difficult year. We it seems like the regulations are getting harder, but we we went out to Abu Dhabi and Dubai at the beginning of the year, which wasn't was wasn't too bad. We have a lot of testing when we're out. I think I got tested six times in ten days, uh, which was good. But it was good to be out and see all the guys, and it was relatively normal over there. So that was very nice. Uh, I came back, uh, went to Qatar, and Qatar was the one that started to get harder. You know, the travel, you know, around, it, it felt like when you got there, you'd actually achieved something. Uh, and then getting home was was quite a challenge. And then we had to isolate uh, and do all the testing that's happened. So from then onwards, we didn't go to Austria last week because coming back to isolate every time you go away is very difficult. So uh kind of doing a little bit more over the phone and uh so it's been, been a little bit more of a challenge but you know i live i live near a heathrow so I, i'm generally not in gainsborough or offices so yeah i am at home at the moment which is where i normally am so uh yeah it's been good though just for our listeners let them know exactly what your role as the the european player manager encompasses yeah it sounds a bit weird that title but effectively i i manage our player division so anyone where uh, within ping that we support with equipment so it could be a an amateur that's coming through it could be a challenge tour player a lady a senior uh, but ultimately my responsibility my day-to-day responsibility is with the main tour uh, and our contracted players which we refer to as staff players so it's all their it's all their equipment i'm responsible for and making sure they're set but it's also the relationship between them and ping and all the other things around that you know uh with how we use them on corporate days and you know any media that we might get involved with it but yeah anything to do with the players comes down to me uh it's quite a lot of admin there uh quite a lot of admin but also quite a lot of travel you know i think you know i started in 2002 so I, I calculated, I reckon I've been over 500, nearly 600 tour events I've been to over that period, just trying to, our, our main worry is servicing our staff players, yeah, our contracted players. Dominic, I was going to ask you, how tough is it to sort them all out with their equipment? You know, you, know, you can't, you can please everyone, I know you can, like you can, like you're going to get there in the end, but you know, some are easier than others to please, aren't they? Yeah, we're, some are easier than others to please, but we're, we're quite lucky, I would say, uh, because, you know, Ping being family business, uh, it's got a lot of loyalty. You know, yeah. most of the players that come to us only play Ping. So yeah. it's not like at the end of the year, we're rushing around to try and sign a new player and then get them all fitted up for January the 1st. All of our players that have come through, and I think there's only one that hasn't done that, and that was Eddie Pepperell that switched to us last year. But in all those 19 years or so, I've never had to switch anyone. So they've all played ping already. So they're all within us. Uh, so then it does make it easier because they're used to, used to the way our equipment works and they're used to the feel of it and the look of it. So, uh, yeah, I'm constantly updating them with new equipment and trying to make, make that come out. Uh, some players are really easy to deal with, you know, and some people want to know everything about it. But it's almost like... Uh, you you have to have a little. It's a, it's a psychological fitting, and it's not like a it's not like a fitting that you might get from a from a consumer where you want to kind of involve them and tell them everything that they're doing, and them don't want to know. So you'll try and you'll just try and try and give them what they need, and and hope they go with the flow and they get the confidence from it. But yeah, each of them are different, and the more you know them, uh, the more you'll understand what they're going to need. And I think that's where we benefited from having that loyalty and long-term relationship with players. Yeah, definitely. When you said about sort of knowing what to tell them, what not to, what's that? Lee Westwood jumped into my head for some reason, just because he's quite famously doesn't change his clubs just at the drop of a hat or just because something new comes out. Obviously he's been... Yeah, Lee, for donkey's years. Lee, Lee, uh, Lee is almost like perfect in a way because... 
he doesn't really he, he's not really a messer around he, he won't just want to try a certain shaft because he's seen somebody else or want to hit it further because someone's hit it past him you know if he's got a problem and he has had problems over the years you know and even even in december last year when we were in, in dubai he wanted to work with drivers he wasn't quite happy uh, but where lee is very good is that he will have that session and it might be 35 minutes and we'll test three or four things and he'll make his mind up pretty much then and he'll go with it he won't yeah. be doing that the next day and the next day and the next week and the next week he kind of goes with it so lee's really good i would say but yeah he yeah. did he went through a phase where he didn't want to we didn't want to try anything and he was quite set in his ways but funny enough when i started in in 2003 he was going through a rough year he might have been five six hundred in the world and you know and you know i came in at a time where he's not going to trust me the first year out uh, and he'd been trying lots of different shafts and heads and you know you're kind of just really an order taker at that point uh but then he kind of switched back to his old clubs. He went back to some Zing 2s in 2004, which had the old ping shaft in it. Uh, and then he started to play well again and got, you know, he won the Dunhill, I think, in around that time. And he was off and running again. But I always thought it at the time, it was just the shafts that were doing it. He got into some different shafts. And once he got his old shafts back, which are generally is a ping stock shaft, which is actually not the strongest thing in the world, uh, you know, he got that rhythm back, you know, and I think that's very important with anyone's fitting. It's, Definitely. you've got to go, if you know the player, you understand what he wants to feel like, as opposed to just putting them saying, oh, he's swinging at 130 mile an hour, he needs this, or, or he's doing this, you know, so yeah, Lee's good to work with, definitely. Uh, he knows what he wants, and he knows what he wants to see. So yeah, he, he's definitely one of the easy ones, I would say. What about the other end of the spectrum? Who are the guys that are always on to you for like the next big thing? What's coming? I want to tweak this. Who are like yeah. the Rio Ranieri's, the, the Tinker Men? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to mention any names because some of them are. No, just I wouldn't. Awesome. <laughs> you know, some some people just want to want to try everything. You know, uh, and you know, the more I've been out here, the more I kind of fight against that. But at some point, we have to go right. Okay, he wants to try it. He's a contract player. You know, we'll let him. We'll let, we'll let him try it. And sometimes it's worth them um, trying it and maybe failing with something. Uh, but yeah, there are some players that it, it, it because they've had service from us or from other manufacturers for so long, they 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 constantly keep keep looking. It's almost like a disease on tour where they're you know they, they get used to it on a Monday or a Tuesday and they want to test and they want to test and they want to test and then nothing feels right and then it must be this and it must be that and you kind of lose perspective here of where they are uh you know it could be simple things like even the grips you know that yeah. that don't feel right one day and want to change and then they worry about changing and you know you wouldn't believe how how uh how much service there is which kind of it creates the problem in the first place but uh I mean, I had a player once that we all knew that was a bit of a actually playing quite well yesterday. Uh, he was play, he had a problem with his grips. You know, one day it would be feel thick, the next day it will feel thin, and you know, sometimes it's just the temperature change. And uh, I don't know. We had a we had, we were at one event and we had a truck full of people, and he was saying that a five iron definitely thicker than the six iron. And I'm like, well, no, it's not the same. I mean, bear in mind that we we gram source all our grips we measure them off we use calipers to make sure they're the same yeah. uh, and he would know the five iron's thicker so i put this five iron and he said i you know he's trying to shut his eye and we blindfolded him i said i put this five iron in his hand and uh he kind of gripped it and he was like uh, you know he's kind of mm, is that right and then the, there was a truck full of people and i took the five iron out of his hand and i said right here's the six iron but instead of putting six iron i put the five iron <laughs> back in his hand and he went, oh, no, this is the thick one. This is definitely the thick one. And, I'm like, oh. and it shows you it shows you that sometimes the players can get a little bit confused in the head. You know, I was always told, uh, Ping, never to underestimate a player's feel. You know, and I, I still remember that from day one. And that is very accurate. Someone like a Jimenez will feel what half a swing weight is. He'll feel if it's a flip fraction flat. And, you know, and if he says the shaft feels slightly different from another one, then you, you've got to kind of go with it. But yeah. at some point you go, oh, actually, this is not really helping because there's not that much difference. But, 
yeah, there, there, there's there's some interesting characters out there, but luckily, like I said, all of our team guys have come through with us. So generally, they're they're all of they are all a very good bunch. So you know, I wasn't in Austria this week, but I've had no I've had no messages or any issues from anyone. So uh, you know, fingers crossed the phone doesn't ring because I'm not in Spain now. <laughs> Hopefully, nothing gets damaged on the flight over to Gran Canaria. Yeah, man. Yeah, well, you can't. Wait, I mean, at, the moment, at, the, yeah. at the moment, we're spending half our time just trying to ship products because with no flights anywhere, there's no, there's no, there's, it's just impossible to get anything. And with Brexit, it hasn't helped. So there's, it's taking a long time to get things around. So it's, it's a bit of a worry if the phone does ring. Well, talking about uh, personalities, you got probably one of the biggest ones in your uh, in your stable in Tyrrell Hatton. I uh, just wanted to touch base with the mighty Tyrrell because I. I love the guy. I love watching him on TV. I love his game. And I got to follow him at Dunhill when he won as well. Um, and he was just so impressed. I got to follow Victor Perez as well, which is another ping player. I seem to be a bit of a uh, a good omen for uh, ping guys coming down the stretch, mate, around St. Andrews. But I just want to ask you about those guys. I mean, they're Tyrrell, just Tyrrell, an unbelievable, nutly nice guy. He's yeah. so different. To, and it makes me laugh. It makes me laugh because... You watch the TV coverage and you kind of go, oh, no, look. And then you see the comments on social media and people are gelling towards him now. But certainly at the beginning, everyone yeah. just didn't like him and he was aggressive. And you're like, well, that's so not him. Yeah. You know, I've played quite a lot of golf with Tyrrell, luckily. And, uh, you know, he's the most competitive guy you'll ever meet. Uh, but he is generally a really, really deep down nice guy, you know, uh, but frighteningly competitive. I think I... I played with him once at uh, Stoke Park, you know, where he was kind of practicing there. And we played at Stoke Park and it was winter. I mean, it was, very, you know, the greens were hollow time and the greens were really soft. And, you know, you're kind of like, well, this is slightly pointless being out here. But he's still trying to shoot the lowest he can. It's frightening. I'm like, it's just freezing yeah. cold. It doesn't really matter. I remember, I remember playing on one hole and there was some, the greens were, like I said, were soft as anything. And we played with another England guy that he, one of his friends, and he had wedged into the screen and it landed like right by the pin and just spun off the front. You're like, oh, crikey. I hit one in like 10 feet past the pin and it spun right off the front. And I'm like, oh, crikey. And there were some greenkeepers at the back of the green. So they'd seen Tyrrell and they were waiting. So Tyrrell is this like ripped wedge, like lands like 20 feet past the hole. You're like, it's perfect. And it just plugs. It doesn't, oh, <laughs> it doesn't come no. out of his. It doesn't come out of his pitch mark and it doesn't spin back. So you can, and you, you know, he's like, I'm laughing. <laughs> he's not, you know, he is very, he is very, very serious. But when you play with someone like that though, you know, he doesn't hit it. Yeah. He, he strikes it good. You know, yeah. he's not, he's, he's not Bubba Watson where it's where it comes off the bat. Um, mm. He strikes it very good, but what will scare you, you know, I play off, I'm plus one, I'm whatever, I think I'm quite good. But in, in comparison, I'm so bad. You know, when he gets around the green, I mean, we played a little skins game and he, he had a bunker shot that was like a 40-yard bunker shot up over a tier. It's just like, mm. Yeah, this and is where I, they come alive, I, isn't it? I, I, just, I, just, I just stuff it out and three-part and move on. And he kind of, he, he, he hit this bunker shot just in practice. And it's, it's out, it's not, it's not like three feet, it's like six, seven inches. It's, it's it's so good you and, and and it's not that's just one incident but he does that repeatedly yeah. you know so you can't believe how good his short game is and even on a winter green he's rolling it like no no end you know his putting yeah. is frighteningly good from 25 feet on a winter green he's still lipping out and he's still moaning at it but he is unbelievably He's unbelievably competitive, but unbelievably, you know, nice guy. He gave me a ticket to the Masters a couple of years ago. And, uh, yeah, he's just a nice guy. He's just a real well, nice guy. But why, why give for a ticket? First time I've been, obviously, it's very difficult to go to the Masters. You know, even in what yeah. I do, we, you know, Ping only get a couple of passes to go, you know, range side. Uh, and, you know, we've got people in the States. So I've never been in 18 years. But, yeah, he gave me a ticket for the week uh, a couple of years ago. And, yeah, it's frighteningly good. Uh, when you were talking about that shot, that pitch, 20 foot behind, you needed your old ping I twos with the square grooves, mate, didn't you? Well, it's just, yeah, it's just... That'd have come back then, wouldn't it? It's, 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 it's funny playing with him because you're kind of like not sure how to take him. You want to have a laugh all the time, but then you can see he's really upset sometimes. <laughs> and it's only a friendly, you know? Oh, yeah. But, 
but he, he's, he plays a lot of computer games and, you know, like all the youngsters do. Uh, and I almost see it as when he tees off, he's like on that computer game. He just wants to shoot the best score he can. And it doesn't matter what day of the week it is. He just wants to go as low as he can, like we're trying to get a high score on a, on a computer game. So, yeah. and, and the level of intensity he has when he's playing in a friendly with me it shows that, you know, he can't go in any higher. He's playing in a major or it's, or it's the Arnold Palmer or whatever. He's at that level of intensity all the time. You know, that's, that's why he's good, you know. But, yeah, I, I liked him a lot. He's a, he's a funny guy. Uh, and, he, and, and I think people understand him a little bit more, don't they? They see that he's, you know, he's got a personality there. But he's very shy. I'd say he's very shy as well. Yeah, well, the, the, the old, uh, if you feel glum, put up your thumb, that lovely thing that they did with the European tour. I mean, when he, I mean, he came out, he showed himself in full bloom there, didn't he, really? You know, kind of shy, quiet and, you know, you know, being nice. And then, you know, you just know the steely eye kind of guy he is. I, I love him. I can't say. I can't yeah, I mean, I mean, in Abu Dhabi, I saw him in Abu Dhabi, I actually played with him. We did some work before Abu Dhabi and we played a game of golf, which was really nice. Then he went and won Abu Dhabi. And then the week yeah. after was Dubai and his caddy, Mick, you know, wasn't feeling great. Uh, and he had a bad knee, you know, he, he had a bad knee, you know, he had some issues with his knee and he'd late, he was late to the program and all sorts. Uh, and, you know, most players, you know, he's five in the world, Cyril. You're like, come on, this is serious. You know, you can't just be, you can't be doing that. But, you know, Mick came over hobbling over, you know, onto the range and he wasn't going to carry the bag, but, you know, Tyrrell saw him coming. He had like a leg brace that he had to put on or a bandage or whatever. But Tyrrell saw him coming. Tyrrell saw him coming and like went over to the water box and wiped down the water box with his towel and mixed it down. And he helped him put the strapping on his leg. You're like, you know, uh, there's a lot of nice players on tour, but there's not many that would actually just go right and really look after him in that way. And I was like, crikey, I would be, I was slightly annoyed with, with Mick. I'm like, where is it? Are you? What are you doing? You know, we want to play well this week as well. And uh, yeah, you're like, there he was just trying to help him and put his leg strapping on and getting him ready. You're like, mm, it's, it's quite nice that, I think. Yeah, that's, mate, that's a great really touch. Good relationship, I think, that those two have. And it's done a lot for Tyrrell on the course as well, I think, having Mick beside him. Is that something that you've seen from being up close that influence? Yeah, he's, Tyrrell's had a few, you know, he's had a, he's had a few of his mates on, the, on his bag that he's kind of helped, helped out. Uh, and he's always liked that person, you know, no, you know, a friendly person on the bag. But Mick, Mick's a bit no nonsense, isn't he? And I, I think, you know, some caddies, if they're a bit afraid, you know, the player doesn't want to see that player, you know, that, that like cautiousness. And Mick doesn't really care, does he? It's like, well, you've hit it over there in the water or whatever, you know, you deal with it or you bang your club. Well, it doesn't really matter. And here's the number, this is the shot, and get on with it. And I think Tyrrell kind of likes that relationship side of it. it you know, it, it, it's, it is a business relationship and it has to do his job correctly. And Tyrrell and his management are very aware that there's an important role to be filled there. But certainly the, the style that Mick has got, I think has suited him very well. And I think that's why, you know, it, it, it can smooth out some of those bumps in Tyrrell's personality, if, if you like. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he's doing well, isn't he? I mean, he's going to get better and better, and uh, he just needs a w another a week in a major. You know, he's, his name's mentioned at the majors now all the time. He won't, he won't be far away, I don't think. Absolutely. Victor Perez, John mentioned as well. There, another guy. No, looking like he's going to be in the Ryder Cup now. What he's flourished over the last couple of years, hasn't he? What's yeah, he has. He has, and I like Victor a lot because. You know, he was a ping guy. He went to college in the States and his, his performance in college wasn't outstanding. You know, our US office was like, yeah, he's done OK. It wasn't it wasn't ridiculous. Uh, I met him when he came over and we went to uh, like a challenge to events in France at Saint-Omer. And I met him there and I quite liked him, you know, someone that wasn't contracted, had no financial ties with us. But he turned up with 14 ping clubs and a hat on and a bag and, you know, ready to go. That's what we like to see. You know, if yeah. there's any players out there that want to be a ping guy, that's how you've got to look like. And, you know, so, so he played all right on the challenge tour. And then I phoned him up the following, at the end of the year and said, right, you know, have you got a manager? No, we didn't have a manager. And we gave him a contract on the challenge tour, which is, you know, we probably only have one or two every few years. We Generally, there's no contracts. And we, 
we gave him a, a contract on the challenge tour uh, because he was doing everything right and he had a little bit of gain. Uh, and then he's done quite well. He's, he's got onto the tour. He was doing, he was grinding it out. He had that kind of big fade going. Uh, but yeah, you could see he could play. He knew he had had places to go. But obviously, when 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 JP got on his bag, you started to see him open up a little bit. And I think he's gained a little bit of confidence from that. You know, uh, and I do remember that week at the Dunhill where he kind of broke through. You know, he'd been playing well. Uh, but I remember being at the downhill. Victor tried to hit this little safe fade all the time. And you're like, Crikey, you're quite a strong guy here. You know, you can swing over 120 mile an hour and you're trying to hit defensive fade. Uh, and then at the downhill, I think JP was just saying, no, just hit it hard. Hit the big draw hard. You know, forget about the fade. Just hit the big one. Go for it. And now, now when, a, when a player is, is, is trying to hit a fade seven out of ten times, you know, yeah. when he's trying to hit the big draw all of a sudden, the golf club all of a sudden was spitting up all over the place. Yeah. So we had to we had to dial down the loft that week. And and I said to Victor, I said, I don't mind doing this, but you've got to tell me you're going to do this swing, this powerful swing, where his left uh, heel came off the ground. You, you're going to have to tell me you're going to have to do that eight out of ten times. Otherwise, the driver, you know, you're going to miss, your, your dispersion is going to go increase significantly if you don't have that delivery all the time. Uh, and he went, no, I'm doing it. And he was crunching it. I mean, he was 121. It was flying miles. Um, and, and it was good. Obviously, he played like a dream that week, didn't he? And I remember we yeah. on that 71st hole, you know, 17th at St. Andrews. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember the scoreline, but I think he was in the lead, wasn't he? But he, I mean, he absolutely crunched one up 17 over the corner uh, and right down the middle. I'm like, crikey, you know, that is really going for it, isn't he? And, yeah, and ever since now, you know, still now he's still, you know, got that aggressive line to him, which is which has been good. But I think JP's given him the confidence to say, no, no, you know, these boys that do play at the top end of the game, then they're not they're not laying up, they're going for it, they're hitting it hard and and committing to it. And I think that little bit of commitment uh, has really helped Victor definitely. Uh, and he's gone from strength to strength. He's he, he's starting to get some results in the states. You know, it, it's always the same. You see these guys. It's like when they come onto the tour the first time that. A little bit in the headlights at the beginning, uh, yeah. and, and then they work it out, and then they realise they aren't good enough. And I think you're going to see more of that from Victor. And I've got no worries about him in a Ryder Cup, you know, because he's a grinder and he he can hit it, he hits it straight, and he can roll the putts when he gets going, don't he? You know, it was good I think in the Ryder Cup, if you start rolling them, you know, you got a few players that might be in the Ryder Cup for Bing Mate this year for Europe, and then also America. Yeah, I, We're just going to talk about another fader, actually. But the other direction, from right to left, Mr. Bubba Watson. I got to play with him uh, on the, um, what was it, the Nationwide Tour at the time. Now it's the Corn Ferry. And we're playing with him and Robert Garrigus. And needless to say, I was the shortest man in the group uh, by far. And this man, Bubba Watson, was taking it on lines I've never seen before. And I'm not surprised he's got two green jackets and a bunch loads of, you know, wins. But tell us about Bubba and when you've met up with him Bubba, in the Bubba, past. Bubba's a different... You know, actually, when I started for Ping, which was... I won't bore you, but in 2002, in November, I did a month in the factory in, in the UK. And then I went over to Phoenix and spent some time in Phoenix. And the first ever event I went to was they really did a road trip from Phoenix to Palm Springs for the qualifying school in uh, 2003, two. Two, oh, 2002, yeah, 2002 for the three, 2003 season. And none other than uh, John Morgan was in the field. And I think you went, went around, went around with, your, with your ping answer and uh, your hat on backwards. <laughs> Um, and all of my colleagues were like, who the hell is this guy? You're from England. Who is this guy? And you, I think you, did, you, you got your card, didn't you? You finished 10th or 11th? Yeah, like that, yeah. Yeah, it's all right now. So that was the, my first event for being. And he had, he had Heath Slocum. You remember Heath Slocum? He had his father yeah. caddying. Heath Slocum's father was caddying for Bubba. And Bubba didn't have much. You know, he came from a different kind of background. Uh, but yeah, I remember watching Bubba and he was obviously, you know, smoking it on the range and they went, he's a bit wild uh, and he was hitting it forever. There was no pink driver in those days, but interestingly, he did have a pink putter. Yeah. He had a PAL, PAL 4 or something with a, with a pink shaft in it. And then I was like, oh my God, what is, what is, what is this? You know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was Bubba. Bubba played that week. I don't think he got his card. I think he finished, you know, way down. But yeah. 
Bubba, yeah. Bubba's, Bubba's a different character, isn't he? I, I, I played golf with Bubba once when we were in Phoenix. I haven't done a lot of equipment work with him because obviously he's in the States all the time. I've seen a, a few, we, we, I've, I've helped him a little bit when he's been over here and he's played in events, but, you know, he's an amazing character. And again, I think deep down, you know, his heart is in the right place. And I think that's why a lot of the people at Ping really gel to him because, you know, he means so well. Uh, I think he's also a little bit, you know, misunderstood in a way. Uh, but yeah, he's an amazingly talented player and generally nice guy. Uh, but yeah, a little bit, ooh, you're not quite sure how to take him sometimes. You know, when, when we played with him, you know, uh, he, he, was, he was very friendly, but he wanted to be just like one of the boys playing at the weekend. He didn't yeah. want to pretend that he won the Masters or anything like that. He was just a normal guy. So, you know, you could upset him very easily by asking for a selfie or something like that because he just wanted to be out normal and day off that. Uh, he kind of he, he kind of likes the limelight with his social media, but he also, he also I don't think he likes it that much, you know. Yeah. But yeah, super nice guy, amazingly talented. I mean, I hit a couple of drives. I was like, I can hit this one hard. And it was quite wide. And I'm like, well, he's not that far. He's in like 40 yards past me. And I'm like, that's not too bad. <laughs> I'm like too bad, and then we got him on par five. That was like a straight, a straight hole, and he'd been hitting these little chip cuts down the fairway, and then he kind of hit one hard. <laughs> oh crikey! He's like, oh. he's like 110 by me. I'm like, oh, Mate, I, I, I got I got two cracking scenarios, and these were when we were playing. We had to start on the back nine. We come to his tent, and it was like 400 and. 420 yards, real risk and reward part four. And I've just looked at the front bunker. I think I'm going to smash drive and try and run it into that bunker and just give myself an easy up and down out of the bunker. So I did exactly what he said on the tin. I said on the tin, I did it. He gets three wood and pitches it in the middle of the green. Right? I'm thinking, hold on a minute. That was a three wood and it's flown me by like 40 where my driver's yeah. gone. And then, then we come like three holes later and there's this beautiful dog leg right to left. I can see it now and it was unbelievable. And it's Wasteland down the left-hand side, 480 yards, powerful, right on the limit. Everyone's, no one's looking left because it's a monster carry light of 340, 350 yards to carry the wasteland. There's this bunker on the right, and I've just gone straight down the right-hand side, and it leads me, I go driver, five iron, you know, to the middle of the green, no problem. You know, no, not Bubba. All of a sudden, he's set up to this ball, and he is just aiming so far left, and I've gone, what's he doing? What is he doing? You know, he's aiming straight at this wasteland, and he just, launches at this thing both feet off the deck at impact just absolutely comes out of it big fade on it monster carries the wasteland he has got mm. half a lob wedge not even that into the green to my four pelt five iron i just went different game yeah different, different yeah game. yeah it, it is a different game you know yeah he's like punching seven irons and i've got like three iron it's like what 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 is going on but yeah, yeah, amazing, amazingly nice guy, amazingly talented. Uh, you yeah. know, and I think that you know those two things are big reasons why we like him. But I always like the thing when I talk about that round when I played with him, his golf course. There's one par five, it's like six hundred yards or whatever, and I hit my tee shot or whatever, and that sprinklers obviously to get your yardage. And I've gone over to see the sprinkler and how far I've got to go, and it just says only Bubba. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the oh, right. yeah. yeah, and he knew it. Obviously, he knew it, so he was waiting for my reaction when I went over to look at it. I mean, it was like three hundred yards to go or whatever. It was. It just it just says only Bubba. You know, you're like. <laughs> that is brilliant. I love it. You're, you're absolutely right that he's misunderstood because you know in his early days on tour he had that reputation for being a you know not great in sort of personable situations but it's because he just doesn't like the fame does he he doesn't mm. he's a little bit more uncomfortable in those sort of big settings where he's the center of attention or he's that's just not him but away yeah from and people might think that's weird because of his social media antics but generally yeah. deep down you know he's got his own personality definitely he's got his own personality uh, but like i say deep down at the heart of him uh, so much good charity work like he's built a hospital yeah. or a wing of a hospital near where he's from he he bought their minor league baseball team and keeps that afloat he's got a sweet shop all the charity work he does and what he does in his community around Baghdad for yeah him. and what he's done for his family obviously he's yeah. adopted some children as well and you know it, it takes a big heart to do things like that and generally 
really, really decent, decent guy. And yet it's a little bit misunderstood, I would say. But I think the more, you know, people like him talk, the more, more people can understand him a little bit more like Tyrrell, you know, the, what, what he's actually feeling there, you know, you know, people can make, you know, even when I've been on tour, you know, you, you can make assumptions on players based on very little, you know, if one person doesn't say hello to you in the morning, you kind of like rule them out for a year, don't you? You kind of like... <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, well, it, but but these these guys when they're out, they're they're so busy and they've got so much going on. You you can't do that, but you can form opinions from slightly the wrong reasons there, can't you? But uh, yeah. yeah, both of those players, you know, they're, they're you, I, I do a lot for them if if you, if you can just to try and keep them happy. But they're, they're both very good players, and uh, yeah, we're very pleased to have them at Ping definitely, and we hope to have them for a long time. Well, Bubba's done a lifetime deal with us now, so. Yeah, uh, I was going to ask you about that, mate. How good is that? That's different. Yeah. Well, I think when he came to Ping, I, 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 you know, there's obviously before I was around, but I know someone, John Solheim, uh, had asked like our tournament division to have a look at him, see if we could help him, uh, and they went and hit some balls with him, and they and they went and and, and the boss of the tour department said, "Listen, we can't. That doesn't really meet where he's at. Doesn't really meet our budget requirements for you know. We can't really." support him financially we're helping with equipment but i think john solheim went well if you can't do it from the tour uh, you know i will look after him personally so i think john supported him directly with outside of the tour so uh yeah he's got a very good relationship with all the solheims and you know and everyone at ping and you know when when players like that that have come through from let's say nothing you know win like the majors you don't realize how much you know energy invigorates a company like ours i know from my point of view you know my like proudest moment almost is is louis Oosterhuizen. you know because yeah. louis was an amateur but you know just he was just turning pro when i started with ping and he had a bit of time on the challenge tour and then he uh, he got his tour card and he lost it again and i mean but then when he eventually started to make roads, he had three or four years on tour and he's finishing top 60 in Europe. And you were like, come on, Louis, you know, it's time to step up. We need you to, you know, you know, this is, we weren't saying this to him, but this is what we're kind of thinking. You know, he's been out there a few years. You want him to, you want him to win. And he went to Miguel's event, him and his event in Spain, in Marbella in that May time. And he got a win. You're like, great, Louis is off and running. You know, he's going to fly. And then that same year, 2010, he goes to the Open at St Andrews and Louis still Louis and it's still a major, you know, that he hasn't played in many. And to win the Open at St Andrews in the fashion he did was, was frightening considering we'd been doing work with him. And, you know, I'd, I'd seen him since, since there was nothing. And to win, it, to, to win in the Open. And it was, it was almost surreal. And <laughs> I remember seeing him the following week because I think the following week was an event in Sweden and for some reason he hadn't entered uh, but wanted to play and when the players missed the cutoff date you can't re-enter if you can't enter the week before it's just you've you've missed the closing date so he had to apply and the sponsor gave him an invite into Sweden the following week which he got on like the Tuesday of the open week so he but what he did what was really nice is that he still honoured that he said he yeah. He was given the invite. He didn't win the Open and say, I'm not going to Sweden anymore. He turned up in Sweden the next week to, 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 to honour that, 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 that call they'd made. And I remember seeing him on that Tuesday going, I mean, I was like, what have you done? <laughs> what, have you, <laughs> well, what have you done, Louis? You know, because this is just Louis, isn't it? It's Louis that we yeah. work with, that was struggling to get oh. a card that was... Yeah. You know, and Louis, Louis thanked Ping at the, at the prize giving for the Open and all sorts of things. So... You know, things like that. I just just like send adrenaline through everyone at game. It just it's such a feeling. You feel a part of it and really proud for someone like that. He's a good character, Louis. Well, he's a really nice guy. Yeah, he is, mate. He is. What a golf swing! I mean, it just looks. What a golf swing! Yeah, he, he. He's yeah, frighteningly talented and very laid back as well. And. I do remember in about 2004, he lost his card and went back to tour school in about probably 2005. And you know what it's like, John. He, he, he'd arrived in Spain. It was in San, San Rocky in those days. He'd lost oh, his yeah. clubs. You know, the airline had lost all his clubs and 
that to us is like a nightmare because we're busy week and now someone's got no golf clubs. But, you know, 99 times out of 100, they'll turn up the next day. So Louis wasn't worried. And he's like, well, don't worry about it. They're coming tomorrow, you know. So Wednesday, turns, the tournament started on a Thursday. And Wednesday turns up and they haven't showed up. They're supposed to be there. He's flown from South Africa and they're not there. And I'm like, oh, cranky. So we went, right, we better build everything. So we built everything for him, you know, from putter to driver. Uh, and, you know, there's a little bit of panic in me. It was only my first couple of years. I want to make sure that that driver we just built is, is perfect oh, for yeah. Louis. And he just had his feet up in the truck all day long, you know, and literally the horizontal. And I'm like, Louis, right, we've got everything ready, bags ready, umbrellas in the bag, everything. Let's go and hit some balls. And I think we might have just started to get track man when it was, when it was in a big suitcase. And I was like dragging this thing out, pulling Louis out of the truck. And he's like, don't worry about it. They're fine. They're fine. Don't, they're fine. All the clubs are fine. And he didn't really hit any balls. And I, I was panicking. Uh, he yeah. wasn't. And then, he get, and then he goes out and finished fourth, I think, in that tour school, having not played the golf course, finishes fourth. And then the rest, obviously, he's never seen a tour school since then. And then goes on from there. But really laid back, super talented. And like you say, super, super swing. Just effortless, isn't it? Yeah, mate. But when you see when players, you like you made comment there, so laid back. But when they see people like yourself working their absolute ninis off, getting it all right, I mean, you couldn't put it in any better hands, mate. So what do you do? I well, mean, really, yeah. honestly, you just you got the best in the business on tour, and they're doing their absolute cotton sock to get everything going. I mean, you can't he, help he, but feel relaxed. He had more trust in us than we did in ourselves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, you yeah. know what our players like, because, you know, and from my point of view, from my in those situations, I want to actually prove to the player, and this is where Trackman is quite good, I want to prove to the player that everything is good and don't think that something's wrong, you know. Yeah. So here's your seven iron, look, it's going 175. Here's your four iron, it's doing everything it normally did. It's flying 210, spin rate is perfect. Here's your driver, look, boom, boom, boom. Everything is as it should be, you know, and in, in a roundabout way, it's don't blame us, but that's, it, it kind of it kind of settles them down. It settles them down to, to, to not because it would only take one or two bad drives to say, well, I don't do that with my one. It must be this one. And and then that door of doubt is just getting wider and wider. So yeah, yeah. I like to do that just to shut that door, yeah. you know, and it's that confidence that you can give to it just to help a player remind themselves that what they've got is fine. And that is half a battle with golf, isn't it? You know, yeah. you've oh, got to be sure. You've got to be you've got to be sure of it. You know, doubt is the worst thing in, in your in, in your world. And you can't be standing over a driver worrying that the shaft's not right or the loft's slightly out. And you've got to be thinking golf shot. You've got to be thinking, where am I going to hit it? Yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. One thing that I did want to go into a bit with you, because I find it fascinating about Ping, is that recruitment policy. We kind of spoken about it a little bit earlier, whereby you don't sign players once they're established, really. It's always players that have come through from the amateur game and just carry on being ping players. And that instills the sort of loyalty that you see from guys like Bubba and Louis and they and Lee Westwood, and they stay ping their entire career. You know, you've got some really exciting young players coming through now. If I just have a look, like Victor Hovland, Cameron Chank, Yako Neiman, even on the ladies' side of things with Brooke Henderson... Bianca Pagdanganan, who I think I've pronounced that correctly, who's a great young player and absolutely bombs it. From a recruitment side of things, how much emphasis is put on that in-house at Ping to make sure you're picking up those talented young players? And how do you go about finding that the next superstar when they're only sort of 14, 15, 16 17 years old or whatever. Yeah, gen generally, I mean, we, we've got a, another guy that works with me called Jeff that looks after all our amateurs and looks out for, for those players. And we try to service them. You know, once they're on our books, we try to service them like a like a contracted player, like a staff player. And, uh, you know, and a lot of it, a lot of the amateurs, if you're looking after one particular player really well and you're seeing improvements, then they generally like to talk to their friends and their colleagues about or their, their team partners about certain things so we'll get quite a lot of phone calls and at the moment you know certainly in the last 10 years our product's been has been very very good you know certainly our woods and irons have been very very solid so you know we're going to get a lot of interest from that but we, you know as a company we still have to be careful because we don't want we can't afford to have everyone you know we've got to be very selective uh so, so yeah, I suppose just by, by myself and my colleague, we're just constantly talking about who's coming through and who's doing what. And 
you know, there is that message of, you know, making sure they're playing all our equipment and they're comfortable in all their equipment uh, so that when they turn pro, you know, the only reason, I, I say it every year, but to certain people that the reason why we want you to become right under our umbrella is so that when you turn pro and you're going to have the biggest step of your life, you know, from being a good amateur to getting on tour and being a, and trying to establish is the hardest time for anyone's career because yeah. it can rebound and go the other way and you can give up or you can go on and win a tournament and be a superstar overnight, yeah. you know, but that, but that period of turning pro is, is very, very difficult. So, so our game plan is that when you do get to that level, all we need to do is give you a piece of paper and you put a pen on it and you sign it and then you just keep playing golf the way you are because the golf ball doesn't know you're a pro now, you know, yeah. but what you don't want to do is in my opinion or in our opinion, you don't really want to be trying to change all the tools of your trade. You know, exactly. I don't, I don't think you would get, I, I don't think you'd get an artist or even a builder changing all his tools just to start a new job. You know, they, they've all got their own little ways of doing things. And I think that's very important for a player. And I think it keeps that, it keeps that player on a level key, you know? So that, that's, that's the foundation of us. Yeah. I think, like I said, Eddie Pepper was the only one that, uh, has switched into ping uh, to, to come onto us, but he was using our woods last year, and he never didn't want to switch out of a G four hundred driver, and so and he liked Tyrrell's irons and this sort of stuff. So uh, yeah, he was a little bit different, but yeah, the majority of them all come through, and we've got players every year. We've got people in the Walker Cup this year that we're looking at, going right. Hopefully, they'll step up, and you know, we need Westwood's 46, 47. You know, who's going to be that guy? Tyrrell's actually filled that role. You know, Victor's stepped up now because two or three years ago, no one really heard of Victor Perez. But we've also got a lot of good players. You know, people like Callum Hill, you know, Connor Syme in Europe. Yeah. That, oh, you know, they're, they're yeah. starting to make noises now. You know, they're, they're, they're starting to challenge for tournaments. You know, Connor had a good amateur background and got to the semi-final of the, of the US amateur. And now last year, he was in the final group in Wales. He was doing well in Kenya. He's another guy that you're going, right, you know, like I said about Louis, right, it's time to get that win. You know, he's a guy. Uh, Callum's a guy. And there's a few of them, Adrian Morong, the pole, uh, yeah. pole. You know, he, he can hit it. He can play. He just needs that little bit of confidence. But, you know, our, our staff and Sebastian Garcia in, in, in Spain, you might not have heard much about him. But, you know, he's another guy that, you know, he hits it forever. Really good player. You know, I, I'd be tipping him, you know, for the next few weeks in Canaries. He's a guy that can, can do it. And they're the guys that will be four or five years down the line that will be, oh, crikey, he could play Ryder Cup because it happens so quickly, doesn't it? It, happen, yeah, it, it happens so quickly. But, yeah, we've got a good good staff. We've got, you know, at the moment, it's very healthy. There's about 14 guys, which is all about a good number for us. Uh, yeah, it's about getting quality and getting the right ones through for us. Nice. Uh, and it's no surprise, like I said, because the, the, the product's been quite good. So the phone is ringing for us. Uh, it's just trying to balance who and who. That's the difficult one, isn't it? And, you know, as well as, you know, as being nice as we can be to players, we do have to let some people go and say, unfortunately, we can't support you any longer. Or, you know, even if it's on tour, we can't give you a contract anymore or whatever it is. Mm. There are some difficult decisions there along the way. You know, we still need to be efficient uh, in what yeah. we do. but. Yeah, it's an interesting. I like that side of the of, of, of my role in the sense of finding new people and getting a player. Alan Willett was one of ours at the beginning. That's right. You know, I remember seeing him turn up in an old car and turning pro. And we played once at Woodhall Spa. You know, but as these players, you know, it's, it's almost like a pyramid. You know, you've got a lot of players at the base on the amateur side and the challenge tour. But as they get to the top of the game, you know, you're not going to have no company's going to want 20 guys in the top 50 of the world because it's just too much money to invest. So unfortunately you do lose players along the way, uh, but you hope you keep hold of some ones that are you know going to serve you well and have showed good value to you. I know I was going to ask you, Dominic, um, yeah, being on tour on the range as well with equipment and latest equipment, you know, you've got the 425 driver at the moment, haven't you? The G. And yeah. it's, um, can you tell us a little bit in the technology with that? Because what I'm hearing through the grapevine where, you, you know, everything's about how far it goes and everything like that. And I'm sure the driver goes adequately far as well. But I've been told it's one of the straightest drivers there is on tour. You know, that's what I'm hearing through the Well, you're well informed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, good. Consources are proving their worth, apparently. 
uh, it, it, it is, and I, I would say it is, it's an unbelievable driver. You know, I get really nervous. You know, when we had 410, 410 yeah. was frighteningly good and, yeah. and it's still very good. Everyone's got 410, it's very, very good. You know, but when we, we kind of like bring out a new product, you want to, you're, you're testing it with players. You're not quite sure how it needs to be set up or they do need to be refitted. These don't just go and buy exactly the same thing again. They do need to be refitted. 425 yeah. is different from 410. It has different biases. It spins differently. You need to be fitted for it. So there's a little bit of caution of us to making sure, and it's obviously in our interest to make sure players are using the best, but it's actually my responsibility to uh, make players see the difference. You know, mm. if they don't see the difference, they don't change. But if we can get them to see the difference uh, in in 425, then great, then they'll use it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it is, it is excessively straight. Uh, the miss hits are way better. Uh, we, I generally set the golf club up quite cautious. You know, mm. we want the sensible amount of spin. We're not trying to, this is one of my big bear, bug bearers with, you know, with people I play golf with, you know, amateur golf, yeah. uh, that have gone to gone, gone to get a fitting. They get fitted for their ultimate drive, their best drive. And it might yeah. be when they're really sweet, free flowing on the range and swinging it hard. They get fitted to that. The the, the 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 correct way to do it is actually fit to your average drive or your bad drive. You yeah. Know? So you're getting some help out of that uh, because we all know when it comes down to it. It's not about really about how far you hit it. You know, if you're getting on that 18th hole and you've got to make the cut or hit it fairway like Victor Perez did at 17th at St Andrews, you oh. want to hit the fairway. You know, anyone would give up 20 yards to hit the fairway. Mate, if the ball's in play, you can play all day. And that's it, a trick. Exactly. Exactly. So we, I generally fit on the slightly on the more cautious edge because I know the tendencies of the player. Yeah. You know, if I was giving a fitting to anyone, that, that discussion period with with a player is more important than actually hitting shots it's about mm. what where their battle is what do you feel like when you're under pressure do you hit it off the neck do you hit it left do you hit it right do you tow it do you do this they're all the things that you need to know about so you can fit it correctly but 425 has been exceptional and what we've seen on tour is you know if you just take a like, just take a random player you, you kind of want to fit them speaking very generally between say two and three thousand so if they hit it off the toe or high in the face, it might be at 2,000 spin rate. This is speaking generally. And if they yeah. neck it, it's going to go up, obviously. And that wants to stay under 3,000. Okay. Yeah. So that is kind of like a broad brush where you want to be at. But with 425, you know, my dispersion between the lowest spin rate and the highest is now within a 500. That's so so wow. if you take Westwood, for example, who generally likes to play at around 25, 26, because yeah. under pressure, he, you know, if anything, he gets a little bit more on top of it and he creates, he needs that spin to control it. So he's generally always been around 25, 26. But now with the new driver, if he hits one high in the face or towards the toe, it's only dropping to 24. And if yeah. he hits one thin, it's only going up uh, to 28. You know, and, and, and that's where cons the distance is way longer on average, you know, and, and uh, you'll know, John, when, when you're really confident and you've got that ability that you feel that you're not going to hit it offline. Yeah. And you know, you can get away with it. You know, you want to hit a bad swing and you want to neck it and it's down the middle. That, that, that's fine. You, that's fine. Yeah. That's, that's in play. Most people, most people, viewers would go, yeah, great drive. You yeah, know, and you'll you still have people that like, come on, man, get a grip. It's in play, mate. Come on. Yeah, but, but and, I, and I would say, although these are the best players in the world, they're probably only hitting, you know, in 10 drives, they're probably only hitting three or four absolute rippers. The yeah. rest of them are all varying degrees of mishits, you know. And, and like I said, someone watching a spectator wouldn't see that they've slightly thinned it or towed it. Uh, but they, they just, it does happen. And when you get that confidence of just keep hitting fairways, you know, the old body relaxes and the mind starts going, well, I can hit it firmer. And they start hitting it harder with confidence. And then you'll see big jumps in distance because you've got yeah. confidence. Exactly. You know, it, it, I mean, we're all the same. If I go and snap hook one off the first tee tomorrow, my next, my second tee shot, I'm not going to be swinging it as hard, are you? You're going no. to go, you're, you're, you're to the old snap hooker off the first, don't you? Yeah. 
Try and guide well, it a little bit. Yeah, it's natural. It's natural, but if you if, but if you hit that hook, where it was left 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 half or in the semi, it's fine. Oh, yeah, it, and, that, yeah, and that's where four twenty five is good because it is so straight. You know, the ball speed is higher. Which I was seeing one one and a half mile an hour more ball speed with a lot of players. Some of them were about the same. Some of them were taking big jumps up. Uh, mm. But it, it, it's it's very stable, and that gives you the ability to hit it harder. You know, Wilco Ninaba, I don't know many of your viewers probably would have seen him. Well, I was you there know. when he hit that 429 yarder at Rampark. I was there doing the yardage. Yeah. yeah, he's a different ball game. He he reminds me a little bit, you know, when I was with Cabrera back in the day where, you know, he did drivers on the range and everyone would like just like heads would turn towards him. Wilco, Wilco, he's still got a lot to learn, but will be very good. You know, in Dubai this year, I mean, he was averaging 200 mile an hour ball speed, you know, uh, and, and, and that's, that's, gone up, that's gone up 10 mile an hour with 425 because he felt like he couldn't miss it. I mean, the first week he used it was in Italy. He didn't play that well, but he was leading driving uh, accuracy yeah. and he's hitting it. He's carrying it 350. Yeah. You know, it's frightening. frightening That's but massive. That is massive. He's 200 Ooh. mile an hour, John. 200 mile an hour. We all yeah. watch the TV and we see what Bryson's numbers are. Oh, yeah. And, and, and this is him not even looking hard at it. Yeah, that, it's you know, naturally, isn't it? It's naturally. I mean, if you look where the golf club is at the top of his swing, I mean, it's so high. I mean, he's quite a tall chap. Yeah, it's like he, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, he's under he's under 80 kilos, though. That's the worry. You know, yeah. it's, it's, his hands are so high. He's got so much flexibility and movement. But a guy like that, just, you know, he will be very good. He just needs to dial in his numbers. It's almost harder for him to get his numbers because the gap in between his irons is 15 yards a club. So everything kind of like a half shot. So there's a lot to learn for him. But um, the point was the stability in that driver is enabled him to keep swinging firmly at it. And he knows he's, he's going he's gonna to save some he's not going to hit the wild one like he might have done with previous models. So, yeah, it's been good for 25. We're very lucky to have it. Great stuff. It's point because we are seeing more players come through from that, right, I'm going to learn to swing fast and hard and hit it far swing point when you learn the game and then rein it in accuracy-wise. And obviously, a number of the young guys you've got coming through really shift the ball out there. From a fitting perspective, has that been a bit of a sea change from you over the past, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 years where you've had players coming in a bit ago and going, right, I want to get a bit more distance. Whereas now players are coming in, they've got all the distance they need because of the extra athleticism and how hard they're able to swing it. And you're more focused on dialing it in rather than adding distance. Has that switched over recent years? I don't think, I think there's always been players that have hit it hard and hit it a long way. We're seeing it more frequently now you know the average is going up uh but players are players like you said the they're so much fitter they're all working on speed aren't they you know back in the 80s and 90s there was wasn't people trying to hit it really hard they were trying to swing and get the club into certain positions and you know i think that the coaching side has changed isn't it you know you're seeing that right leg straight and as more turn comes into the game uh it's all about rotation and using the ground forces uh, you know, and I think that's where the biggest the biggest jumps have been from the players. And yeah. I, I I would imagine that any 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 amateur that wants to hit it further could could work at it. But I think we're seeing, from my point of view, when I'm fitting, it just takes a little bit of time to adjust to the ball flight in your eye. You know, yeah. we still fit with our eye. Yes, we've got TrackMan, but TrackMan confirms what we're trying to tell a player. Yes, the spin is correct. It's doing this, it's doing that. It's correct. But you still use your eyes a lot and you can still see the player swing and, and what he's feeling and you need to listen listen to feedback from him. But yeah, your eyes need to adjust to it. But then it's effect- effectively the same. doesn't matter if it's Wilco at 200 mile an hour or, or SSP Charazia at 104 mile an hour club head speed. You know, the, the, this, the, it's actually the same. You're still trying to get an optimum trajectory, uh, an optimum flight for that particular player depending on what his issues are or his tendencies are. But someone on the lower end, like Miguel Jimenez, who I saw in, in January or February, you know, he's still swinging at 109 miles an hour. Yeah. He's still carrying it 280. 
Wow. You know, but, but for Miguel, we have gone a little bit longer in the shaft. We've taken the spin down a little bit more because Miguel's hasn't got an issue with hitting fairways. Miguel hits it straight. So then on balance, we'll shift the risk to distance as opposed to accuracy. So you'll start taking the loft down. Miguel has it forward in his stance. He's hitting it on the up. Everything is optimum for distance because he's straighter anyway. So you're just balancing. That's why I'm saying that conversation with a fitter is more important. You know, if someone's not missing yeah. a fairway, you can risk it. If someone's saying I've missed all the fairways last week, then that's the wrong thing to do. You know, you've yeah. got to go the other way. You've got to play it safer with his fitting, you know, and, and, and encourage, you know, and, and fit it to the bad shots, that heel shot or that toe. There's a lot of players that like have Ray tends to hit it off heel a lot and he likes it that fade. So you've got to work with that, you know, to make it optimum for him. And, and, that, and that's the same with like, someone like Miguel, you're going the opposite way. It's just that balance and trade-off. And I think people really, if you're getting a fitting, you've got to be honest with yourself. And not many people are. They just want it to go a long way. And then it's, it's you can end up, someone could go out there and buy a driver and spend a lot, a lot of money on it. And it probably won't work if they just try to fit the distance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, definitely. you've got to be sensible and honest. If you want to, if you want to play better, then be honest and sensible and, and try and find something that you're going to hit straight. You've got the most chance of hitting straight and that's where you'll get your distance from. Don't try and hit the ultimate. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I know there's a lot of people going, oh, well, mate, I just we'll take one it. long one and that'll do me. But <laughs> nobody likes hitting it in the, in the rubbish, do they, and losing the ball. Oh, I mean, I, I'm a seven handicapper and believe me, I drop more shots from hitting it wayward than I do from not being long enough. That's for sure. Absolutely. It's yeah. not my distance that's costing me shots. It's hitting it in the yeah. water. It's strange. And a lot of our research with consumers um, is exactly the same thing. They would rather be straighter. You know, they'd rather be straight, even though everyone thinks everyone wants to get longer. They're, 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 they want to be straighter. They want to hit it further, but ultimately they want to hit it straighter first. That's why... You know, the Max driver, that 425 Max has been a, just a joke driver. I mean, it's it's so, so stable. And we've got players like Cameron Champ used it for a while. Adrian Moron loves his Max, you know. He uses yeah. the whole face and, you know, you, you he doesn't miss much. You know, it makes it makes a difference, isn't it, if you've got that confidence there. But, yeah, that driver is excessively stable, you know. I want to I want to test your history quickly, Dominic. I just want a quick question, man. I just, no, it's, it's my pride and joy. It's my pride and joy. I've got to show you it because you've seen a few of them and everyone's seen probably one of them now and again. But here we go. Like oh, yeah. Slazzy big answer one. with Jack Nicholas on the bottom as well. Right? That's impressive, yeah. So I got one of these. It's a ping answer. I mean, who thought of this? How did Jack Nicholas get involved with it? And why Slazinger on it? I'm just well, really bemused. I think, I think, obviously, Carsten, when he was... Carsten Solheim, our founder, yeah. when he was making putters in the garage... You know, uh, you know, and that was one of them, those answers. We had a, a putter called a 1A first, and then the answer came out, and he started yeah. to promote it to tours and got a few people involved with it. He, I think he asked uh, the Slazenger rep to maybe just help him distribute it. Okay? Uh, right, okay. And at the time, at the time, Nicholas and Player maybe were Slazenger players. Yeah. So he thought the, the, the distributor thought that it would make it easier for him to sell if he just stamped Slazinger on the bottom of it and their names on it, what? going, well, that will make it sell. Uh, but what Carsten Solheim didn't know that. So as soon as he saw that, he stopped it. Yeah. He went, right, end of deal, no, no more. That's why there's so few ones out there with that labelling on there, because it wasn't really approved. Uh, I think I think that's the correct story of how that came on there. Oh, also, uh, Dominic, because I never it, knew. It, I mean, it's it, completely original. The grip is original. I mean, it's virtually. We still make that grip. The, that's, that's, yeah. We still make that grip. Yeah, I can yeah, put a new I one mean, on there. I mean, it could do with a new one, to be honest. I think when I see you, mate, over in Wales, if you're there at the Wales Open, I'll come and I'll come and find your sunshine. Love, yeah, we still use that. That's one of the most iconic yeah. grips, isn't it? We call it the PP58. Yeah. I don't know why, but that, that's its name for it. But we still fit that now. And I've got one of my putter. And obviously, there's quite a few majors won by a certain player. With well, with yeah, I was going to say, Dom, you're probably not allowed to say this, but hey, I'm I'm probably allowed to say it. That Tiger Woods had a ping putter grip on his not ping putter for pretty much the majority of his career winning most of yeah. his so well, he, I think I think he's got a gold ping putter yeah I mean when he won US amateurs he had the old answer twos and things like that so and he did use 
So I understand he had some ping I twos back in the day. You know when he was an he amateur. Didn't. But... He didn't. I couldn't afford a ping I two, so I went for Regency Green Killer twos. They were a replica, <laughs> and they were about <laughs> three hundred pound less. Wasn't Mate, it easy? They... Wasn't it the easy twos? <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing was right. It still had the number up on the top right hand corner of the face, yeah. and I just thought, I oh, mean. Because I couldn't afford a ping I two, I just couldn't. So they were Regency Green Killer twos. Woo from Argos. Get in there. Yeah, those are the days. Hey, eh? I, I, um, I like about the whole answer story. Obviously, which is where sort of ping originated from, was that the original design was drawn on an old record sleeve, wasn't it? And and it's still at the ping headquarters, I believe. I went over there a few years ago. I was fortunate to visit and have a tour and stuff. And yeah, the original answer putter design is just sketched out on a record sleeve. It's incredible. Yeah, but, but strangely, when, you know, Carsten Solheim, his youngest son, John Solheim, so was, was number two, and he's looked after the company for since I've been around, but he's just moving into our third generation of Solheim, John K. Solheim, who spent some time in Japan. Uh, but I remember sitting at the open, and John Solheim has been sitting in our truck, uh, you know, just minding his own business. He's quite quiet. And, you know, he just grab a piece of paper one time and uh, start drawing on it. And you, you don't know what's what's happening. You know, a lot of the technology comes from that, those ideas. You know, he's quite a keen uh, photographer as well. I mean, he took a picture of a dragonfly. Yes. Uh, the dragonfly. And you can see the way you can almost like translucent wings. And you can see all the, you know, the, the network of veins and things and, and structure of that wing. Uh, in a dragonfly and and that's formed helped form our driver now because we have what we call dragonfly technology in the driver where inside the head what you can't see from the outside is that same kind of webbing uh where it's very very thin and then it's structured is slightly thicker in certain areas so you know there people like the, all of the solines are so engineering based and they you know that's how they get their ideas from nature from anywhere and like most sensible people, if you get ideas, you should have a piece of paper around you and whether or whatever it is, you start writing things down, don't you? Or in, in their case, they start drawing it. Um, How good is that? And the yeah, it's frightening. And I'm sitting there going, wonder what he's drawing. wonder yeah. when we're going to use that. <laughs> like three years' time, you'll be fitting someone for what he's just scribbled there, probably. And yeah, you don't know. I mean, I'm fascinated. Literally, I've sitting, seen him sitting in the truck and he might be drawing something. You know, you don't know what it is, but... Uh, yeah, he's got ideas and they'll put it down on paper. And, you know, it's an idea, then it can go back to the office and start researching it, researching the idea and, and has some of them has merit. And yeah, who knows, it can end up in a, in a new product like that. But this is where, you know, the brightest in our world, you know, take inspiration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, bloody right. And you must have been in the gold putter vault over there as well. At the oh. Yeah, I have. Yeah, that's a frightening place as well, you know, because... Do they have a few so going history. spare? Do they have a few going spare? Could I have one? Well, there is one. Of course, there's always one there for you, John. You just need to win. Yeah, well, yeah. But do you win one if you win on the senior tour? Say, if I went out there, do they give them if you win a senior tour event? Yeah, we do that for you, yeah. Oh, thanks, what mate. An incentive. What an incentive. Thanks, mate. Legend, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, we, I mean... I can't mention one player, but we had to start remaking uh, a putter because they kept on using an older putter and make it. And we all, we, all we did was make gold ones of it, you know, uh, and that was a major winner. Uh, but yeah, the, the gold putter ball is frightening because, you know, you can pick up a putter and it's got a history there, isn't it? You know, when I was growing up, you know, running around Wentworth, the PGA, just watching all of those players and yeah you know they've all got like putters from there that are in the in the gold gold vault you know sandy lyle from his masters or whatever they're all there and i speak to sandy now he still plays some of our kit and you're like mm, it's frightening all those memories of kids there are still there and right up to today so there are thousands of putters aren't there in the in the vault yeah it's, it's a nice touch though it's a nice touch because a lot of companies that you know financial you know bonuses are great and money's great but that's something that will stick with them forever. You know, uh, I do remember, I do remember speaking to Sevi and Sevi said we, uh, we'd missed one of his gold putters and I had to present Sevi with a, with a gold putter. I mean, that's a good that. dream, isn't, you know, from, from getting his autograph as a 10 year old and 11 year old, a 12 year old, you know, to oh. actually doing something like that for, 
the semi. Was that, uh, was that like something for you, like when you meet your hero, he didn't disappoint? Yeah, it was It was a bit weird. You know, all the players now, I'm used to being like the same as you, you're probably used to being around them. And, you know, people like Tyrrell and Victor and Westwood, I've spent so much time with them. They're just normal human beings. But yeah. certainly in those early years when I started, I mean, I remember being at the Open and Greg Norman came in, you know, and obviously watched Greg Norman at the, the old Suntory World Match Play and, Norman was Norman, wasn't he? He had so much presence and he came in and he said he bought a putter, which was a ping putter and he wanted it adjusted. And I'm like, okay, yeah, no problem. I can do that. You know, I was like definitely starstruck. And yeah. he said, I'm teeing off now. Just bring it out to the golf course. And in the practice round, there was, you know, it was 10 deep oh. in the practice round. And I'm, I'm like fighting through the crowd, walking across the middle of the fairway to give Greg Norman a putter. It's like, yeah, it's, 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 it's really, it's really cool. I love the majors. I love the, the open and things like that. But yeah, yeah those, those old, those, those older players from my youth, from my childhood. Yeah. And like I said, Sandy Lyle was still, you know, I remember Sandy when he won these masters, you know, those, those players are still so iconic, aren't they? Yeah, they are, man. Awesome. It's nice when Sandy, Sandy's one of the nicest persons around. He, if he phones you up, you don't get off the phone for an hour and a half. He's just chatting away. You know, really, really nice guy. Well, if, you, if you're in cahoots with him, Dom, just ask him if he needs a caddy for the Masters next year, I'm his man if he goes to play. Because it's the only way I'm ever going to get to go and see the golf course, I think. And I'll do it for free. I'll do it for free. white boy as well. I think that's his look. Yeah. Uh, the Masters is, is I mean, like I said, I've only been once, but yeah, it, it's frightening. If I don't go again, I've, I've been there. And uh, yeah, nice yeah it's it's everything and more. And Sweet when, when are you going to be able to get back out on the European tour? Is there an event? Well, we're, we're still kind of juggling around what we can and can't do. But whilst this quarantine is in place for us, uh, we're not really going to go. But we're hoping to be at the British Masters, which is in, in only a few weeks, a few weeks away. Uh, at the Belfry so that will be our first chance to really crack on again so yeah it's exciting definitely to be back but hopefully things will open up in June and July and you know and Europe kind of get organised a little bit more and we'll be able to fr travel will be freer uh, but yeah I think the future for golf is pretty good I think the pandemic has shown that golf is is the sport uh, to be involved with it's good outdoor sport and certainly seeing the demand for golf right now uh, and I yeah. hope all the governing bodies really crack on with that and you know we really follow through and making sure people do get more into the game but yeah I think it's I think the long-term outlook for, for golf is going to be good so that should also be good for you know everyone involved in golf and the European tour and all the tours and all the players and media uh, around yeah. it. it should it should come on the more people are watching golf and playing golf the more they want to see golf. Uh, so, yeah, it's exciting, I think. You know, hopefully there's some, some good things to come. Absolutely. The future's bright. I think the future's bright. Uh, Dominic, thank you so much for coming on. It's been absolutely fascinating to pick your brains about the pin guys and the clubs and, and hear your insights and stories. It's been brilliant. John, thanks as ever for joining me today. Thank you, everyone, for listening as well. If you do want to follow us and keep up to date, we're on Twitter at Filthy Lip Out. Please do leave your reviews and your likes. We really appreciate that. And it helps us get found by other golf fans as well. That's all we've got time for this week, but we'll see you next time.